All right. Well, good morning, church family. Um, if uh, throughout this time I begin to speed up my words or just get crazy, it's because I'm super hopped up on caffeine right now. Um, that's what happens when you have a newborn baby. Uh, I just drink coffee 24-7. It's pretty fun. Um, but uh, it's really my privilege and honor to be up here this morning. Um, like Scott said, I've been doing this thing called Vineyard Institute. If you guys are interested in furthering um, your theological education, I highly recommend Vineyard Institute. It's been really great and beneficial um, to me. I know it's been great for Nathaniel and Robert. Um, so I, I'd look into it if I, if I were you um, and you want to continue um, kind of in that theological education. And in Vineyard Institute, uh, like Scott said, I've been taking a class on homiletics, which is just a $5 word for really meaning the art of preaching. That's all it is. Uh, homiletics. And so as part of that class, I decided uh, I want to meet with Scott once a week um, because we all know that Scott could really use some help in his preaching. So I thought maybe I could take what I'm learning and then tell, no, uh, Scott's such a great preacher that um, anyone that wants to study the art of giving a faithful sermon would be really lucky and blessed to spend time with him. Uh, He's been doing it for such a long time. He's so faithful in his preparation. Um, Scott never comes up here and just wings it. He you can tell that he really um, puts the time into it. And he allows room and space for the Holy Spirit um, to really craft his sermon for him. Um, so, uh, so I've been meeting with him um, once a week for probably the last 12 weeks. And like he said, um, it was his idea that maybe to capstone my course, I'm kind of coming to the close of this homiletics course. So to end it, uh, maybe a good idea would be for me to preach a sermon on Sunday morning to kind of put a nice bow on things. Um, Because there's nothing better than a 27-year-old, totally sleep-deprived, stressed-out dad of a newborn giving a Sunday morning sermon to a supremely wise and intelligent congregation like you guys. So during this time, I ask that you um, just show me some grace. Um, If not quite everything makes sense or is coherent, um, or if I decide to just, like, close my eyes and nap right here in the middle of everybody... Um, just show me some grace. You got to sleep when the baby's sleeping, right? That's like rule number one. So, um, so if that happens, just you know, Matt will come back up, we'll sing some songs, I'll nap, and we'll go home. So, um, uh, no, I'm I'm really excited to be here, and it's a joy for me, and hopefully, um, it will be um, it will be beneficial for you guys too. So, I want to start this morning by telling you I love you guys. I love this church. Like, love it, love it, love it, love it. All of you. Um, Y'all are authentic and beautiful and welcoming. And the first time that Kate and I walked through those doors, there was no um, posturing of, of uh, you know, Scott's up here and worship people are up here and everyone else is down. We're all one big kind of flat family. We all do this together, right? Like, that, that's really what the kingdom of God is. It's as much of a flat leadership model as, as possible, really. It's, it's all of us doing our different roles, and they're all important roles. And that's what I felt like when I came into this church. We all have a part to play in this little body as part of the big body. And there's no separation, there's no distinction. And you guys have been so great at welcoming Kate and I and now Lucy into this family. Um, And so I brag about you every chance I get. I really do. Um, If I could, if I had a nickel, okay, for every time that Kate and I, in random conversations with lots of people, said something to the extent of, Man, I love, I love my family, church, my church family, because X, Y, Z. If I had a nickel for that, um, I wouldn't be rich, but I probably would have enough money to maybe afford like a night doula for one or two nights a week, um, and that would be really awesome. Um, so, no. Um, um, 
let's talk about babies real fast. I, I, sorry, I have to do this because it's been running my life. Okay, how come, I have a little bone to pick with you guys. Um, how come no one seriously came up to Kate and I and like sat us down in a non-joking tone and said, listen, you are going to get no sleep for like a long time. Just deal with it. Maybe start getting into meth or something. Like just get ready for it because you're going to be exhausted 24-7. A lot of people came up to us and kind of like half joked about it, like, oh, get ready. But no one like slapped me across the face and said, you got to start, you got to get ready for this. You are going to be exhausted. Um, and so I'm going to, so for all of you who are pregnant now with your first child, um, or even if you just forgot, um, you, all kidding aside, you're going to get maybe like two to three hours of uninterrupted sleep a day, just for a while. Just get ready for it. Just ask for a coffee IV or something and just, just prepare yourself for it. Um, man. And the, the, I, I love Lucy so much. She's one of the loves of my life. Um, I can't imagine life without her anymore. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that um, every day, like around 2 p.m. when mom and dad are working, uh, man, she's a perfect little angel, right? Like so sweet and innocent and pure, sleeping snoozing the night away. About 3 a.m. rolls around, and Lucy decides that she wants to be super gassy, and she wants the world's longest stretch of alert tummy time. At like 3 in the morning, she's like, I'm ready to go. I want two hours on Papa's chest, staring into his eyes and making fun noises, right? That's just kind of how babies are. Um, they have their nights and days kind of, kind of switched up at the beginning. And so what, what's, what's been happening to me and to Kate um, every morning is... Um, while we're trying to get some shut-eye, uh, Lucy begins this chaos of screaming. And so um, uh, here's the deal. I, I kind of pride myself as like a bona fide problem solver, right? So I see something that's not quite right, and I, um, I go to action. I'm, I start thinking and brainstorming of all these different ideas and solutions, um, usually creative and efficient ideas, as much as little work as possible, to solve this problem. And I'm pretty good at it. Uh, so I'll just try these ideas, and in trial and error, eventually one of them sticks, and boom, problem solved. But I cannot figure out little Lucy. Cannot figure her out. At 4 a.m., when the chaos ensues, I'd start going through my list, right? I'm like, okay, five S's. Swaddling, swaying, shh. Right? I mean, all these, like, super hipster things you're supposed to do as a parent. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to burp her. Maybe she's hungry. Give her to Kate. Maybe I need to walk around the house. Maybe she wants to lay on my chest and have some skin to skin. I go through the list every single night, and for some reason, she still just screams and screams for hours every night. And so what's been happening is that every night, I've been having these desperate cries of mercy, like legitimate cries of mercy. Lucy is amazing and beautiful, and my life is so much better. But I still, every single night, cry out, mercy, 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 God, please, please. I cry out every single night. What happens is that Jesus hears my prayers and he draws me nearer to his throne and offers me grace and mercy and comfort. And that's what I want to talk about today. All of this can only happen. We can only cry out, mercy, mercy, God, and he gives us help in our time of need because Jesus is our great high priest. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to take a week away from our study through Acts. Um, If you guys have been here, we've been going through Acts for a long time, and it's been awesome. Um, But I want to take a week away from that just to look at the book of Hebrews for a little bit. Um, So Hebrews, 
Um, if you guys have uh, looked at it, it's kind of a, a, a tough book. It's a little difficult. And that's because the writer of Hebrews um, kind of assumes that the audience has some knowledge of the Old Testament and of the Jewish faith. Right? The book is a letter to Jewish followers of Jesus. And the main idea of this letter is, look, this kingdom that was inaugurated when Jesus died and rose again, and the ways of this kingdom are far superior than the old ways, than the old Jewish covenant, than the old kind of Jewish priests and the way of getting to God. This new way of Jesus is far superior to that. So leave those things behind and go all in in your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews is kind of about. And in Hebrews, um, our author shows us that Jesus is the full revelation of God's grace and mercy and justice and kingdom living. So in our passage today, there's a couple of references to some Old Testament, very Jewish things. And we're going to hit on those. And we're going to explain them. They're going to need some explaining. But if you hang with me through those, um, I promise at the end, hopefully you'll be able to get what I think God's really trying to say to us in our passage this morning. So let's look at Hebrews, starting in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. And then continuing on in chapter 5, Every high priest selected to represent men and women before God and offer sacrifices for their sins should be able to deal gently with their failings since he knows what it's like from his own experience. But that also means that he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the people's. And verse 4, No one elects himself to this honored position. He's called to it by God, as Aaron was. Neither did Christ presume to set himself up as high priest, but was set apart by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I celebrate you. In another place, God declares, You are a priest forever in the royal order of Melchizedek. While he lived on earth, anticipating death, Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he offered up priestly prayers to God. Man, I can relate with that sentence right there. Because he honored God, God answered him. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. Then, having arrived at the full stature of his maturity, and having been announced by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believingly obey him. All right, so this morning, our text, this passage, um, it's one kind of complete idea of Jesus as our high priest. And the rest of Hebrews talks on this a lot, too. But in this particular part... Um, this text is kind of split up into three sections. So the first section, which is Hebrews 4, um, the writer of Hebrews is really, really smart. Um, he kind of lays out the main idea right there. Boom. 14 through 16. Here's the main point of what the next two points are about. Okay? I'm, I'm going to prove to you Jesus is our high priest, and here's, here's why that's important. Okay? So we're going to wait to go to the end. We're going to wait for that section until the very end. We're going to start with the second section, which starts in chapter 5. So let's look at chapter 5 again. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 4. Every high priest selected to represent men and women before God and offer sacrifices for their sins should be able to deal gently with their failings, since he knows what it's like from his own experience. But that also means that he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the people's. No one elects himself to this honor position. He's called to it by God as Aaron was. 
So in this second section, what this section is doing is it's basically explaining the role and qualifications of the high priest. Okay, so high priest is kind of a foreign concept to the 21st century Western church, right? We don't really have a high priest anymore. But the high priest is supremely important in the kingdom of God. Was then, still is now. We need a high priest. We have to have a high priest. The reason that is, is because to the Israelites, the high priest served as the human mediator between the throne of God and the people of God. Look, if we're not sinners, right, if we don't have sinful nature separated from the holy God, then we don't need a high priest. But because we are sinners, we cannot go to God's presence in our sinful state. We have to have this high priest mediator who allows us to enter God's throne. And so priests were appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. No Jew was simply free to walk into the Holy of Holies with God. And even the high priest only went in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he went in very carefully at that, or else God would kill him. He had to go carefully into the Holy of Holies. Every Jew knew that he desperately needed this mediator between him and God, and the high priest served that important role as God-ordained mediator. So that's the role of the high priest, but not anyone can just decide, I want to be high priest, I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies. There's certain qualifications you have to have, and Hebrews 5, 1-4 tell us of that. So in verse 1, um, we see that the high priest is selected from among the people to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So verse 1 again, Every high priest selected to represent men and women before God and offer sacrifices for their sins should be able to deal gently with their failings. So the high priest has to be selected from among the people, and the high priest offers gifts and sacrifices for the sins of himself and for the people. Qualification number one. Qualification from number two is verses two and three. Since he knows what it's like from his own experience. But that also means that he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the people's. So the high priest must be able to sympathize with the people he's representing. He must be able to sympathize with their suffering and their sin. And he can do this because he himself is a sinner. That's going, to give a, that's going to make a little difficult a little bit later on when we talk about Jesus as our high priest. You can understand why. But that's an important qualification. And then the last qualification for being a high priest is found in verse 4. No one elects himself to this honored position. He's called to it by God as Aaron was. To be high priest, you must be called by God to be the high priest of the people. You cannot achieve that status yourself. So we know the qualifications of the high priest and why it's important for not only the Israelites and the ancient Jews, but for us also. Um, So let's look at the last section of our text, verses 5 through 10. And it's here that the author of Hebrews, in all his wisdom, kind of line by line, um, gives an argument for why Jesus not only fulfills this purpose of high priest, but he exceeds it. He's superior to the old model. The old model of human high priests, Jesus is better and far superior for that. So starting in verse 5. Neither did Christ presume to set himself up as high priest, but was set apart by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I celebrate you. In another place, God declares, You are a priest forever in the royal order of Melchizedek. So here the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus was appointed by God the Father. And not only that, but he was appointed in this totally superior order of priests. So as I read that passage, you guys probably thought, Melchizedek, that's a sweet name. Um, Kate and I are thinking maybe naming our second child if it's a son, Melchizedek. Uh, She's shaking her head no. 
Um, but, but you're like, who in the world is this guy? Why would they just throw this name in there and not give us any context? So let's talk about Melchizedek a little bit. We, he only appears a couple times in Scripture. Okay, he first appears in Genesis 14. And what happens is um, he appears to Abraham after a conquest, and he blesses Abraham. And in return, Abraham gives him a tithe, gives him some tithes. And in Genesis 14, all it says about Melchizedek is this. He was a priest of God Most High. That's it. There's no information about his genealogy, about his ethnicity or his origin. Um, he appears, and then he disappears for like a thousand years. Until David, in Psalm 110, brings him up again. And David says this in Psalm 110. The Messiah should be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So David begins to kind of tie the two things together of Melchizedek isn't just this uh, high priest back in the Old Testament, but he's kind of this symbol of what the Messiah is going to look like. He kind of ties the old and the new together. So not only is Jesus definitely appointed by God the Father, he is appointed to this order of priests that is vastly superior to the human line of Aaron. So before this, all the high priests came through the tribe of Levi in the line of Aaron. Okay, Remember Moses, Aaron, right brothers? Okay. That was the, that, all the high priests went through that. But Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi, kind of a little problem. Instead, Jesus comes from the order of Melchizedek, which is this higher and superior order of priests. Melchizedek, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you don't know when his priesthood begins or when it really ends. It doesn't say that. And so what this is kind of telling us, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, what Hebrews is trying to bridge the gap there, is that Jesus, in the same way has a priesthood that has no beginning or ending. His priesthood is eternal. It's not like the line of Aaron that there's successor after successor. He's the priest now forever. No more. That's kind of the point of comparing him to Melchizedek here. What Melchizedek symbolized to the ancient Jews, and definitely the ones who were receiving this letter to the Hebrews, Jesus realized in fullness. Christ's reign as high priest is established by God and has no ending. His priesthood is eternal. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 now. While he lived on earth, anticipating death, Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he offered up priestly prayers to God. Because he honored God, God answered him. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what God suffered, just as we do. So what this is telling us is that Jesus not only sympathizes with the people, like a high priest should, but he actually experienced all of the negative consequences of human rebellion without ever being rebellious. Jesus wept and suffered, and especially in the days leading up to his crucifixion, was so intensely in pain that he was sweating blood. Jesus, Jesus experienced all these negative things because of man's rebellion to God, even though he was never rebellious to God. Because of this, because he experienced this, he can stand in solidarity with us as humans before God the Father. He knows what we've been through. He knows what we go through on a day-to-day basis. And through his obedience, God didn't say, okay, because you're obedient, I'm going to take away the pain. Instead, God fully matured him through his obedience and his suffering. That makes Jesus an even greater high priest than what we had. And then finally, let's look at verses 9 and 10. Then having arrived at the full stature of his maturity and having been announced by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believingly obey him. 
So Jesus not only goes and sacrifices and gives sacrifices and gifts on behalf of us, he is the sacrifice and gift on behalf of us. He doesn't have to continue to go in there every year on the Day of Atonement. He did it once, forever and ever. Amen. In this way, his priesthood is far better than anything we could ever come up with. His work is finished. It's complete. We don't have to continue to put our trust in this person every day to go before the throne of God and offer sacrifices for our salvation. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for all people for all time, period. No more need to put trust and hope of salvation in anything else or in any more days of the year. Jesus did it in perfection. He's the author of our salvation. He's both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. He is vastly superior to the old way and that his offering is final. So when we acknowledge and trust the writer of Hebrews that yes, Jesus is our high priest and yes, he's qualified to do this and his priestly way is definitely superior to our old ways, it leaves us kind of with this. What do we gain as the kingdom by having Jesus as our high priest? Why even make this comparison? Right? We talk about Jesus as our king, Jesus as our helper, all these categories of Jesus. Why even spend the time to talk about Jesus as high priest? That's where we go back to 4, 14 through 16. Here's the main idea, the main benefit for the body and having Jesus as our great high priest. Verse 14. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. And I love verse 16 in the NIV says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So family, my challenge to you is this. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Let's approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. Maybe you're like me, and maybe um, whenever you're in times of suffering and desperation, your first instinct is to go, in my case, recently it's been online parenting blogs. Bad idea, all right? <laughs> everyone in the world, well, almost everyone in the world has been a parent. It's like one of the few things that almost everyone experiences, so everyone has an opinion on it. And the crazy thing is, there's no real right opinion, Right? Everyone kind of does different things and they all swear that it works. So when my first instinct is to go online or to read a baby book, um, what I'm doing is I'm doing the same thing the Hebrews did. I'm looking at the old ways of help. I'm looking at the old ways of the world when I have this vastly superior priest who can offer me grace and mercy. I'm not saying those things are bad. It's not bad. Self-help books aren't inherently bad. They're just far inferior to Jesus. Like, far inferior. Jesus is way better as a priest in helping us and giving us access to God's throne of grace and his mercy seat than the ways of the old. So here's how we're going to end today. I'm going to ask you guys, if, if you're okay, to be a little vulnerable. We're going to split up into groups of like four or five or six if you need to and kind of move around the room. And uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of share with each other ways currently in which you are suffering and you're in desperation. And then in your group, together, as community, I'm going to ask us to together confidently go 
to the throne of grace because we can through Jesus our high priest. Not only can we, but Jesus stands in solidarity at the throne with us. He's our greatest, like, companion. He's our biggest fan at that moment. Jesus can do that for us. So, I'm going to ask us to get in groups, go together, kind of share these things, and then together, let's go to the throne of grace. Let's ask for mercy. Let's accept the help. We're going to play some, we're going to play some music. We'll kind of dim the lights a little bit. And then after that, I'll pray, and uh, you guys can go get some lunch. So, thank you.